This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. The New Testament reading today comes from John chapter 1. You can follow, follow along verses 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second reading today comes from Book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verses 22 to 36. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depth, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. And now, my children, listen to me. Happy are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Happy is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But those who miss me injure themselves. All who hate me love death. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Tim. I'm the assistant minister here at St. Mark's. It's great to be here. Uh, on this special day, which is in some ways a normal Sunday because I'm going to be speaking from Proverbs 8, which is continuing on in our Proverbs series, so I invite you to have this uh, sermon outline uh, at hand. Uh, but also I want to be among the first to say congratulations to June and Robert. It's uh, a real pleasure to be able to preach at the service that is your wedding. So thank you. Oh, just another thing. Next week... It's going to be the end of our series on Proverbs, and so we're going to have a short time of questions and, uh, and sharing in the congregation. Uh, so please be ready for that. Uh, have a think about uh, questions you might have from the whole series or anything you might like to reflect on. Let's pray as we look at God's Word together. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy Word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, does living God's way 
actually makes sense. As I said, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs over the last couple of months, and it calls us to live wisely, to live God's way in God's world, fearing God, listening to his wisdom and instruction in the Bible, and then living it out in the world. But does living with this wisdom really make sense? One problem is that it's so old. You know, it's thousands of years old. And we've come a long way since then. The Enlightenment, industry, liberal democracy, the sexual revolution. We've learned so much. In contrast, the Bible was written, as one prominent atheist has put it, by a bunch of Bronze Age desert tribesmen. Surely we can just leave all that behind. And is it really for everyone? Is it the kind of thing that makes sense to everybody? People and communities are so different. Who's to say that the Christian one makes more sense than another? The British philosopher and uh, John Gray says that adopting a way of life is more like selecting a painting to furnish a room than testing a scientific theory. The test is how it fits with your life. Even if God's wisdom makes sense to you or me, does it make sense to everybody? Isn't it just like choosing a painting? Does it make sense to impose it on everyone? And does it really make a positive difference? You know, loving your neighbour sounds nice, but when God's wisdom cuts against the grain of our common sense or our intuitions or feelings, it can be hard to swallow. Jesus says it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't really mean that, does he? Jesus says Christians are called to love and forgive not only people we like, but even our abusers. It's a big call. And in the eyes of many, the Bible's views on sexuality aren't just prudish. They might even be oppressive. This is especially relevant on our, with our wedding today. In marriage, a man and a woman are called to love each other faithfully for the rest of their lives to the exclusion of everybody else. And Robert and June have just promised this. They've promised to love and be faithful to each other at all times, no matter what happens, until they die. Is that really wise? Or is marriage just an outdated economic convenience? Does living God's way really make sense? Well, gosh, I hope so. I'm in the wrong job. But in this passage, we have Lady Wisdom addressing us again, a, pers a symbolic personification of God's wisdom. And she stands up like a barrister, a defense barrister in a courtroom drama. She's giving her final speech, imploring the simple to follow her. So what does she tell us? Well, in verses 22 to 29, wisdom was before, during, and in creation. Look at verse 22. It says that wisdom was there right at the start, before God created anything else. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. I don't normally like to do this, but I think that this translation isn't that great. It gives the impression that God created wisdom, 
but it's better to see that wisdom emerged from God's own being. A better translation is, the Lord acquired me or took me up as the beginning of his work. Even before God created, wisdom was there. And that's why she continues in verses 24 to 26. She's older than the depths. In the ancient understanding of the cosmos, the depths, the deep waters, they were the most ancient primordial part of creation. And so she was there before that, before God carved out the mountains and pushed up the hills, before the very first bits of soil. And that means that she was also there while God created, during the creation. Now this description, it's not supposed to be a scientific account of, uh, of what we would have seen if, if we had been there. It's a prophetic account that uses ancient categories to understand the cosmos. Verses 27 to 28, it actually follows the creation described in the first three days of Genesis 1. I'm not sure if you picked that up. In verses 27, 28, wisdom was there on day two when God separated the heavens, the sky above, from the deep waters underneath. In verse 29, wisdom was there on day three when God separated the water from the land. He assigned the sea its limit and marked out the foundation of the land. The point is that God was there, that wisdom was there during the creation guiding God's hands as he thoughtfully formed the universe. And finally, wisdom is still in the creation now, rejoicing and delighting in it. Verses 30, 31 and 31, better translated, in the present. And now I am beside him continually. I am his daily delight, rejoicing before him always rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. God's wisdom continues to be there in creation and among us. She permeates everything God does and everything we do. Now, all this means something very important about wisdom and living God's way. It means that God's wisdom and character is stitched into the very fabric of creation. As God created, wisdom emerged from his very own being and worked its way into everything. And as God continues to uphold everything in his providence, his wisdom guides it all. Now, I've brought a bit of a visual aid to help us think about this. This is a cardigan. My wife, Naomi, needed me. She's at home sick uh, with a couple of the, uh, sick kids as well. So, hi, Naomi. She's watching online. Uh, this is a cardigan that Naomi knitted for me. Now, this is very beautiful and warm and cosy. It's, it's the love and, and it's just a great cardigan. But what makes it, one of the things that makes it special is it could just be a boring old grey cardigan. But it's not because what she's done is that she's had the grey yarn in one hand and then this fantastic, multicoloured, impressive yarn in the other and stitch them together. And so stitched into this grey cardigan is this colour and life and vitality. God's wisdom and character are woven into the world and gives it a physical 
and moral order, character and shape and life. Now, it's not like there's kind of mysterious force, uh, mysterious spiritual forces that means that rocks are alive or that we just need to listen to the trees and we know which way to go. It's that there is a physical and moral order in the universe. And so things make sense. And that is why, and this is where we started, that is why living God's way makes the very deepest sense. Because living God's wisdom is living in line with the fabric of creation and who God is. When you take God's way of living in the laws and the wisdom of the Old Testament, in the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, and then learn to live it out into the world, you are aligning yourself with the very structure, the contours of how God has made things. And this is true in our experience, I think. It's especially evident in how relationships work. There's an order to them. They're created by God. And so they reflect his character, ideally. God loves truth, just as our relationships love truth. God is love within himself. And so our closest relationships, like marriage, are constituted in steadfast love. God enacts justice. And the need for justice grows in the marrows of our communities. God loves mercy and forgiveness. And the need for mercy and forgiveness is deep inside each of us. Living God's wisdom is living in line with the fabric of creation. Now, this means four things about wisdom. And the first is, yes, God's wisdom is old, but it endures. Just because something is newer doesn't mean it's better. It's tempting to take the old bits of the Bible and throw them away, a bit like an old shirt that you're done with. A British rabbi and public figure, Jonathan Sachs, put it like this. He said that our commitments to things like faithfulness and love are not arbitrary, a matter of passing moral fashion. They mirror the deep structure of reality. God's wisdom endures. You, you might throw away an old shirt, but you don't throw away diamonds because they last. So we don't throw away God's wisdom because it endures through all time. Second, God's wisdom, it's not easy, but it's good. Even though we can't always see why, living God's way is good for us. That's why it says in verse 35, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favour from the Lord. Now, I think we really need to remember this because we don't always like living God's way. There are bits of wisdom that we like, loving people, being generous, forgiving, they have a nice ring to them, but there can be parts that are really challenging and so they make us feel uncomfortable, don't sit right with us. Or if you're honest, they just judge you too deeply. So it's easy to ignore God's wisdom, what God says about the love of money or the need to forgive and love even our enemies or sexual faithfulness or the demand for integrity even when it would put your livelihood at risk. God's wisdom isn't easy, but it's good for you. Third, 
when you live wisely, it's cosmically significant. Do you ever feel like living that God's living God's way is just a bit mundane? Especially some of the things we've seen in Proverbs. You know, being prudent with your money, it's not very exciting. Being faithful to your husband or wife for the rest of your life can sound uninspiring. Being patient with kids for yet another day, living with humility rather than an unending desire to succeed. These things don't get us up in the morning. But remember that when you follow God's wisdom, it's cosmically significant because you're living in line with the creation that reflects his very being. Don't be tempted by those other ways that look interesting and new. Wisdom is what is eternally significant. And finally, living God's ways for everybody. It's unpopular to say that everyone should live God's way. But if his wisdom shaped creation, then his way is for everybody. Everyone. And so for us, this is really about having the courage to witness to the goodness of God and his wisdom in Jesus Christ. We live in a beautiful place, but it's a spiritual wasteland. We're suffocated by wealth, the desire for approval, and the pride of life. You and I, your neighbours, my neighbours, we need Jesus Christ and all that he offers. Speaking about our faith is not easy, and I could say a lot more, but it has to begin here with the conviction that God's way isn't just one among many. It's for everybody because it is the way of order and life. Living God's way is living with the contours of God's creation. But there's a problem here because living out God's wisdom is hard. And you might be sitting here today thinking, God's wisdom stitched into creation? Well, it sure is hard to see. I don't see the threads. The goodness and sense of God's wisdom isn't obvious. And even if we want to live it out, we struggle to do it. The problem is that deep inside us, our self-absorption, our love of the wrong things, our refusal to follow God has corrupted the created order and us. The garment is stained and stretched. Our minds are clouded so we can't even see the wisdom clearly and even when we want to do it, our wills don't work right so we don't want to. And so your life, my life, they're marred by foolishness and we all do really foolish things. You know those things that keep you up at night? in those dark moments and those things kind of back through life that just won't go away, keep you up ruminating in the shame? Or is that just me? I suspect not. Just this week, I did something really foolish, and I'm too embarrassed to say what it was. Thankfully, nothing bad actually happened, but I came close to hurting someone I really loved, and I came away feeling really foolish. Ashamed, negligent and guilty, ruminating all week. Do you know that feeling? And it's moments like these that are glimpses of the fact that our failure to live in line with God's wisdom 
infused creation brings death. Metaphorical death in the pain and angst that we cause our others and ourselves. And physical and spiritual death as we face God's judgment for failing to follow him as we should. And that's why the passage ends in verse 36. Those who miss me injure themselves or better do violence to their souls. All who hate me love death. So what hope do we really have to really live in a way that makes sense in the world? Well, our hope is to receive wisdom as a gift through Jesus Christ. Because he became, before he became the man Jesus Christ, it says in our New Testament reading that Simon read for us, John chapter 1, that he was the word of God, another way of speaking about the wisdom of God. Through him, everything was made. He was the wisdom at creation. And when he came into the world as the man Jesus, he embodied wisdom. He taught complete wisdom. He lived with complete wisdom. And he died on your behalf, on my behalf, to take away the foolishness and the frustration and shame and death that it brings. And so in the face of a stained and stretched world, Jesus is restoring order. Wisdom really is accessible and livable. And when we follow his way, he gives us the gift of life, full life now and eternal life into the future. And so the place to begin isn't just to try harder to live God's way. The place to start is to receive wisdom as a gift from God through Jesus Christ and the life that he brings and to keep coming back to him for renewal, for wisdom and a fresh start each day. And so today, Lady Wisdom calls out. She calls you to follow the deep wisdom of God and the universe, to live in a way that really makes sense. And Jesus is his way for connecting you with the grain and sense of the universe. Just last night, the Archbishop of Canterbury tweeted it and captured the, tweeted this and captured it beautifully. In Jesus, we begin to see how we ought to be and how the world ought to be. Seeing the truth of Jesus connects us with the grain of the universe. Wisdom holds out life and death. And the result depends on how you will respond to wisdom. And maybe you've never made that decision to take up the offer of life in, Christ, in Jesus Christ. And if that's you, I urge you, do it now. But even if you have, the challenge remains. Will you keep listening, watching daily at her gates, as she puts it, sticking to the path of Jesus and continuing to align yourself with reality? Will you live without wisdom and so do violence to your soul? Or will you embrace wisdom and truly live? Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for the wisdom that permeates creation. We thank you for your guidance and direction that endures and that is good. We thank you that Jesus Christ is upholding all things in wisdom and he shows us the way. 
And so we pray that you would help us to hold tight to him, follow him and live. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.